Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader. And my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do just that right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. So in the spring of 2006, Operation Iraqi Freedom was taking place. And in a town called Ramadi in Iraq, there was a firefight that broke out. And there were U.S. Army soldiers, there were U.S. Marines and Navy SEALs and friendly Iraqi soldiers. And in this firefight, those U.S. troops thought that they were shooting at the enemy. But in the fog of war, and with mistakes being made, and some bad luck, and some poor planning, and some poor communication, it actually turned out to be friendly fire, fratricide. And one friendly Iraqi soldier was killed, two Iraqi soldiers were wounded, and one Navy SEAL was wounded. And Lieutenant Commander Jocko Willink, commander of Task Unit Bruiser, he was the leader. And he was told to shut down all operations and that the commanding officer, the master chief, and the investigating officer were inbound for a briefing. And so Commander Jocko Willink was faced with trying to decide who's to blame, how do I report this, where do we go from here. And so before I tell you the rest of the story, and we jump into today's topic, I want to let you know that I've created a free resource for you called The Six Things That Every Private School Teacher Wants From Their Leader. And this is a six-page PDF, and I think it can be a game changer for you. And I guarantee you that if you do these six things, that the teachers at your school will be happy to follow you. And you can pick up your guide of the six things that every private school teacher wants from their leader by going to theprivateschoolleader.com slash guide. So that is over there at theprivateschoolleader.com slash guide. And just as a thank you for listening to the podcast. And also be sure to check out the plug and play PDs that are free for you to use, maybe with your staff for new teacher orientation or for staff in service. And these are 45 minute webinars complete with guided notes and discussion questions. And there are three of them there at theprivateschoolleader.com slash resources. And the three that are there are the top six ways to build effective relationships with difficult parents. Also, the seven habits of highly effective private school teachers. And if your school is interested in implementing growth mindset, there's a plug and play PD called Turn Pedestal Kids into Gritty Kids by Implementing Growth Mindset. And those are free for you to use, and you can get those over at the privateschoolleader.com slash resources. So I set the stage for this story. And Lieutenant Commander Jocko Willink, the commander of Task Unit Bruiser, this friendly fire firefight that took place on the streets of Ramadi, Iraq. Someone had to get fired. 
Someone is going to get court-martialed. Someone has to take the fall. Someone has to take the blame. So whose fault was it? And that's the question that Jocko Willink asked in that room. And one by one, his Navy SEALs raised their hand. And actually, the first one to raise his hand was the one who was injured in the firefight. And he said, you know, I was responsible for my Iraqi soldiers, and I should have kept them under control a little better. And another Navy SEAL raised his hand, and he said, well, I could have communicated more quickly and um, communicated our position more quickly, more clearly. And then another Navy SEAL raised his hand, and he said, well, I'm the one who shot that Iraqi soldier, and I should have identified my target and I shouldn't have pulled the trigger. And Commander Jocko Willink looks at all of them and he says, no, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault. He said, it is my fault. I am the commander of Task Unit Bruiser. And he took ownership of the entire situation. Extreme ownership. And he came up with tactics that would make sure that this didn't happen again. And there was no court-martial, no one was fired, and his Navy SEALs, his men, respected him more, and those who had come to investigate and hear that debrief respected him more because he was in a situation where it would have been really easy to point the finger and to make excuses and to blame others. But Jocko Willink practiced extreme ownership that day. And that's the title of a book that Jocko Willink and Leif Babin wrote. And the story that I just shared is in a TED Talk that Jocko Willink gave about extreme ownership. So I want to talk about that today on the podcast, and I want to apply it to us as private school leaders. What can we learn from a Navy SEAL about extreme ownership? So let's start by defining what is extreme ownership. Well, it's the idea of taking responsibility for one's actions and decisions without blaming others or making excuses. And so let's face it, that's pretty hard to do. It's easy to say, but hard to do, like most things in our jobs as private school leaders. When we take responsibility for our own actions instead of blaming others or like sometimes I like to say, getting out our blame thrower and just aiming it in every direction. But private school leaders who practice extreme ownership take full responsibility for the outcomes at their schools, both the successes and the failures. But of course, when it comes to successes, we want to give the credit to our teams. And when it comes to a failure or a mistake, then we want to accept responsibility for that, especially publicly. Private school leaders who practice extreme ownership avoid passing the blame onto external factors. They take the blame and the responsibility themselves. And instead, they focus on what they can control and how they can improve. And so that is really difficult to do. And I want to tell you, when I was a young leader earlier in my career, and I'll be honest, it still happens sometimes now, that 
as a young leader, insecure, imposter syndrome, I didn't want to admit my mistakes. If there was a mistake that was made, then I was looking around to my left, to my right. Who's to blame? Circumstances, people, the weather, you name it. Um, a bad, you know, bad financial situation because this family over here didn't pay their tuition, whatever it was. And I did this at board meetings and faculty meetings and in one-on-one conversations. And I'm ashamed and embarrassed to say that it was especially in one-on-one conversations. And then my integrity came into play there because, you know, if something happened and let's say there was an assembly and there wasn't a lot of notice and then my teachers were upset or unhappy about that they were missing academic time because of that assembly, then, you know, a teacher might come up to me and say, hey, you know, what's going on with this and why didn't we know? And instead of just saying, you know what, that's on me, that's my fault. I'm the head of school. There were times when I would say, well, if so-and-so would have just put that in the daily memo or dot, 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 and you can kind of fill in the blanks. And so I've been on the other side of this where I did not take extreme ownership, but I try really hard to do that now and to take ownership of my team and everything that happens in Uh, my division at my school. And I want to give you a little bit more of a relatable example. So it might be hard to put yourselves in the shoes of a Navy SEAL on the streets of Iraq and in a firefight during a war, but let's just make it a little more relatable. Let's say that the best player on, I want you to think about for a moment, the best player on your favorite sports team. And that person, that Uh, individual has a press conference after a game where there was a really tough loss and let's say your team got blown out they lost by a lot so I'm just going to go with a quarterback in football because I love football college football and NFL and so let's say the here are these two different scenarios after a tough loss the quarterback is at the podium here's scenario a well uh, you know, the receivers, uh, they weren't running the right routes and you saw all those drop passes and, you know, this game plan, I don't know what the coaches were thinking. I don't know why we were calling some of those plays in some of those situations and not to mention the refs were terrible. I mean, I'm sure all you saw that and, and then the weather was bad too. And in the second half, it was really hard to hold on to that football and, um, the field was slippery and, you know, and then our defense, well, our defense certainly couldn't stop them. And so, you know, we just had to put up so many points and on and on and on. So that's scenario A, that's your quarterback at the microphone. Or scenario B, and this is probably what you hear more often from an exceptional leader. Um, his quarterback is at the microphone on the bad end of a bad loss. And the quarterback says, well, you know what, this loss is on me. It's all on me. I'm the leader of this team. I have to work harder and I have to communicate better with the players and with the coaches. And I'll tell you what, this week, I'm just going to work really, really hard. I'm going to work my butt off to prepare for our next opponent. And I take full responsibility for what happened out there today. So scenario A, that quarterback 
pointing the fingers at everything, everyone, the weather, you name it. But scenario B, that quarterback as the leader took responsibility. Now, that quarterback can't go out there and tackle people and play defense. He can't kick a 50-yard field goal. There, He can't coach the, the team and, and call the plays. So why would someone, when in reality they weren't responsible for all the parts, why would they take responsibility for that? Well, that's what extreme ownership is. And I want to talk to you about the nine ways to practice extreme ownership at your private school. And these aren't going to be easy, but kind of baked into these nine things that we're going to talk about are the benefits of doing this. Because when we practice extreme ownership at our schools, it improves so many different things. Trust, relationships, morale, uh, just on and on. And so as we go through these, I want you to be listening for two different things. First of all, what is the action that you can take to, to practice extreme ownership? And then number two, what are the benefits from doing that? And then as we go through this list, hopefully you will be convinced that you need to practice extreme ownership at your private school. So these are the nine ways to do that. Number one, lead by example. So what I mean here is to take ownership of your actions and your decisions, and that sets a strong example for the entire team, for the entire school community. And so if you are encouraging accountability and responsibility among staff, students, and parents, but you're doing that by practicing extreme ownership. Because if you point fingers and care more about the blame, then your team is going to do the same thing. So you have to lead by example with taking responsibility. Because when you do that, when you say this one's on me, then you're encouraging your team to do the same. But the opposite is true. If in meetings, if in uh, faculty meetings or team meetings or even one-on-one -on -one meetings, if you're all about getting out your blame thrower and aiming it in every direction, then that's exactly what your team is going to do as well. And you don't want that. So number one is lead by example. Number two is control your ego. Gandhi once said, when the ego dies, the soul awakes. When the ego dies, the soul awakes. And I believe that our egos, we all have them, let's face it. Um, the question is, how big is it? And the other question is, how good am I at controlling it? I have an ego, and sometimes it gets pretty bruised, and sometimes I really have to bite my tongue. And what I really want to do and what I actually do are usually two different things. And your ego is diminished when you don't care who gets the credit. So I'm sure that you've been in meetings, you've probably worked for people who it just seemed like they were all about who gets the credit and who, who has to take the blame. And your ego as a private school leader, I think we all need to have a little bit of an ego, um, a little bit of a, that, that backbone and just kind of that, that charisma and that little bit of swagger, like just that in, but we keep it internal. And we have to keep it under control. And so 
Strategy number two for ex practicing extreme ownership is control your ego. Number three, see mistakes as learning opportunities. All right. So another example, or excuse me, another confession on my part is, is that um, I used to think that mistakes not only proved that I was an imposter, but mistakes made me feel so insecure because as a younger leader, I was leading teachers who were older than me, who had more experience than me. But even as I kind of, you know, rounded into form, so to speak, maybe 10 years into my career, I still had a problem with making mistakes. And if we see mistakes as a learning opportunity, the leaders in our schools who practice extreme ownership, they see this as a growth opportunity rather than a setback. And I know that that sounds like something that we would put on a teacher observation or an annual review, but it's true. And we also have to model that. So as leaders, we need to seek to understand what went wrong and make adjustments for improvement. And so the Navy SEALs that I was mentioning before, they are known for an, what's called an AAR, an after action review. And rank goes out the window when they have an AAR. So after every operation, they get together and they discuss what went right, what went wrong, and what do we need to do to fix it. And, it, and everyone can speak freely. Like I said, rank goes out the window. And that's how they improve um, upon what they just did as far as an operation for the next time that they go out. Everything that they do is dangerous. And so if we, as school leaders, start to practice a growth mindset, we teach that to our kids. And we say, okay, you know, mistakes are part of growing. Mistakes are how you learn. And we know that they need to uh, make mistakes and build that resilience. But then sometimes because we're in that public space and the eyes are on us, then we don't have that growth mindset. And so number three is see mistakes as learning opportunities. So we're partway through our list of nine ways to, to practice extreme ownership in our schools. Number one, lead by example. Number two, control your ego. Number three, see mistakes as learning opportunities. And number four, build trust and credibility. And I said before that not only are there strategies here as far as actions to take, but baked into these nine items are also the amazing benefits of practicing extreme ownership. And so building trust and credibility with our team, it's got to be pretty high up there on that list as far as things that we want to do. And so when leaders own up to their actions, we build trust with the team and the students and the parents because we know that trust is crucial for effective leadership and for collaboration. And so when our team members are worried that we're going to throw them under the bus, then they will work less hard and they will take less risks. And so if they trust us, if we have credibility with them, if we are predictable with our mood and predictable with our behavior, what I mean by that is, is that one week at a faculty meeting, 
we're throwing around blame and the next week we're taking responsibility. That's not predictable. That if we are predictable and we back our team up in public, and let's face it, go back to that quarterback example. You know right well that that quarterback, the leader of that team, that if there were some receivers that were running the wrong routes or if there were people that were doing things on the team that were not helping them be successful, that as a leader on that team, that he's probably going to go and talk to them privately, but he's not going to call them out publicly in that post-game press conference. And so we want to build trust. We want to build credibility with our teams. We need to be predictable, and we need to make sure that we're not calling people out in public because if they know we have their back, then they will work harder and they will take risks and they will collaborate. And that's what we want. All right, on to number five. <sighs> Strategies, <laughs> I sighed because this one's hard. Number f- Strategy number five is apologize. So when you mess up, we need to own it. We need to apologize sincerely and say that we will work hard to not do that again. And it's so hard. And I know that I've talked a little about, you know, earlier in my career and just, I I just want to make sure you understand that as recently as a few months ago, a couple months ago, I um, had to apologize to my intermediate school team. Um, And the reason was because I made a decision and then I informed my fourth and fifth grade teachers after the fact. And normally what I would do is I would discuss it at a meeting, get their feedback, and then tell them that I was going to make a decision. Well, I didn't do that this time. I just decided what I wanted to do, and then I told them after I had already decided. And once I started to reflect on that, I realized that I was pretty sure that I knew that the team was not going to like it, and I guess I was a little uncomfortable with getting feedback of that type, And so I just went ahead and made the decision and then told them. And so what I did was I um, told them, I acknowledged how this probably made them feel, and I apologized. And I also told them that I should have looked at our long track record together, where they support me even if I make a decision that is different than the feedback that they give. But I didn't include them in that feedback. So that was very recent. And so just to be clear, um, I make mistakes all the time. Um, and, um, I try to make sure that I apologize when I mess up. And here's the bottom line. I know that sometimes we don't want to apologize because we think it's a show of weakness and that we want to be strong and we want to appear strong and, We sometimes don't want that imposter syndrome to be validated by mistakes that we apologize for. But here's the problem. They know that you messed up, whether it's the teachers, whether it's a parent, they know that you messed up. And so we are just more authentic when we can be vulnerable and just real and just own it and apologize because people, they want to follow a human being. They don't want to follow a robot. And so human beings make mistakes. And when we mess up, if we want to practice extreme ownership, we need to own it and we need to apologize. 
All right, number six on our list of how to practice extreme ownership in our private schools. Number six is to create a culture of ownership. So let me explain what that means. So demonstrating accountability, if we demonstrate accountability, then we will inspire others to take ownership of their roles and their responsibilities. So let me just give you an example. So everyone has a job description. So if I um, own my responsibilities, then others will be more inclined to take ownership of their roles and their responsibilities. If I show up on time when I have a recess duty, for example, then I'm setting the example for them to take ownership of that responsibility. And it just creates a more cohesive and empowered school. And so we talk about culture. You know, everyone wants to have a great culture at their organization. Well, I talked before about setting the example, but it does help to create a culture of people taking ownership when we practice extreme ownership. All right, so we're almost done with our list. The nine ways to practice extreme ownership. Number one, lead by example. Number two, control your ego. Number three, see mistakes as learning opportunities. Number four, build trust and credibility. Number five, apologize. Number six, create a culture of ownership. And number seven, encourage open communication. So when we take ownership of our mistakes, it becomes easier for others to admit their mistakes and then share feedback. And so it's kind of this opening that it, it the, the loop, excuse me, opens. And if we give honest feedback, then they are more, they being the teachers and our staff are more likely to give honest feedback as well. And so we need to make sure that we're admitting our mistakes that we're creating an emotionally safe space for us to talk about them. And this open communication also helps to identify issues early and find more accept, more effective solutions earlier. And so we've all been there where we let something go on for too long and we wish that we hadn't and we don't have a time machine, but what we can do is in the future we can be more open with our communication and give that honest feedback. And your teachers are also more willing to speak up, but no one is going to speak up if they're gonna get blamed for something. Everyone will just sit there with their mouths shut and their arms crossed. So it, it just means that we need to, if we want collaboration, if we want our schools to grow, if we want those ideas to be shared, we have to make sure that people know that we're not going to, like I said, get out our blame thrower and start pointing the finger when an idea that's adopted doesn't go well. If all of the ideas come from you, then you are the lid for your school. And none of the ideas are going to come from your team if they're worried about getting hammered and getting blamed for something. They're just going to keep that to themselves. So we need to create those safe spaces and encourage open communication by by doing that we are practicing extreme ownership all right just two more on our list and number eight is to adapt and innovate so extreme ownership pushes leaders 
to be more proactive and to adapt to a variety of situations. And let's face it, the one thing that is the same about all of our schools, and there are people all over the world right now uh, listening, 47 countries as of me recording this, people all over the world listening, and we have schools that are so different, so many differences. But the thing that's the same about all of our schools is, is that we have to adapt and we have to be nimble and we have to be agile because things are changing constantly. And so leaders that practice extreme ownership can find creative ways to address challenges and continuously improve the school's performance. So for example, extreme ownership equals proactive and the blame game equals reactive. And we wanna be proactive. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, the habit number one is to be proactive. So if, if change is inevitable and it's happening at a breakneck speed in our schools, then we have to adapt, we have to innovate. And we can't do that if we're worried about who's to blame, if we're worried about who gets the credit. Let's just focus on what needs to happen and let's get it done without all the weight that's attached to credit and blame. And then number nine, to wrap it up, is that extreme ownership allows us to stay focused on the mission. So we know that we want to, as leaders, stay focused on the big goals of the school. It's our job to see farther and to see sooner than anybody else. And so when we do this, we're the ones, as the school leaders, to stay focused on the vision and the mission and our values. And our teachers, you know, they are pretty busy with their students and their classes and their grading and their duties and all the things that they have. And yeah, we'd love for them to be focused on the vision and the mission too, but it's our responsibility as the leaders to keep focused on that and then to keep inspiring and reminding our teams so that they can be going in that direction too. And so if we stay focused on that, then that increases stamina and resilience for us as leaders, it also increases stamina and resilience for our team. Because when everyone's head is on a swivel wondering where the next burst from the blame thrower is coming from, they're not focused on what's important. They're focused on protecting their own rear ends and keeping quiet when they have a good idea or uh, a suggestion and just keeping their head down and going another day at school. And that's not a great idea for attention either. Um, for, for teacher retention. People want to feel part of something bigger than themselves. And if they feel like they can contribute and they can collaborate, then and then in, in the meantime, you're getting them excited and focused on the vision and the mission, and it aligns with their identity, then now we've got something as far as something to build and something that can gain momentum as far as our school culture. So our big takeaways today is, first of all, what is extreme ownership? It's the idea of taking responsibility, complete responsibility for one's actions and decisions without blaming others or making excuses. And then I talked about nine ways to practice extreme ownership at your school. Number one, lead by example. Number two, control your ego. Number three, see mistakes as learning opportunities. 
Number four, build trust and credibility. Number five, apologize. Number six, create a culture of ownership. Number seven, encourage open communication. Number eight, adapt and innovate. And number nine, stay focused on the mission. And I like to end each episode with a call to action. And your call to action is that the next time you want to make an excuse or point the finger at someone else, practice extreme ownership. So let's wrap it up. I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast by giving you another free gift. And that is a guide called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. And we know that working with parents is part of the job, but sometimes they can be demanding and difficult. And this guide will give you tools to help you have better relationships and have better meetings with the difficult parents at your school. And you can grab that over at the privateschoolleader.com slash parents. And if you're getting value from this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My email address is mark.o.minkus at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K dot O dot M-I-N-K-U-S at gmail.com. And let me know about a strategy that you're using or maybe email with your biggest pain point right now. And maybe it can be a title of an upcoming episode. So please subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And the show notes for today's episode are at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 42. A new episode comes out every week on Apple and Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And you connect with you can connect with me on Instagram at the Private School Leader or on Twitter at the PS Leader. And this is a big one. If you got value from this episode, please share this podcast, share this link with another leader at your school or someone that you think might be an aspiring leader at your school. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus, and I just want to say how much I appreciate you and the amazing work that you're doing with the kids and the teachers at your school. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join me here today. And I will see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.